When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential, a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Jamie Dornan is here, one of the stars of the major Oscar contender Belfast. That's Kenneth Branagh's semi-autobiographical film about his childhood, growing up just as the Troubles, the 30-year conflict began in Northern Ireland, and violence swept through his streets. And in a few weeks, you're going to meet Kenneth Branagh here on the show as well. In Belfast, Jamie Dornan plays Pa, based on Kenneth Branagh's own father. For this role, Dornan returned to his hometown of Belfast after several years of conquering Hollywood. Dornan started his career in 2001 as a successful model for the likes of Calvin Klein, Hugo Boss, and more. His first film role was in Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette, and then he gained critical acclaim for playing Paul Spector, a serial killer that terrorizes Belfast opposite Gillian Anderson in the series The Fall. But he really became a household name as Christian Grey in the sexy Fifty Shades franchise, a franchise that earned $1.32 billion. And as you can see, Dornan has an eclectic career. Just recently, he was hilarious and had a full-blown musical number in the comedy Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. And now there's a ton of awards buzz for him in Belfast. But last year was also a roller coaster. He lost his beloved father to COVID before he got the chance to see his son play a proud Belfast father. Now the role is based on Kenneth Branagh's father, but Dornan says he really brought a lot of his own father to the role. I got a chance to speak to Jamie Dornan about this intense year, about returning to Belfast, those Bond rumors, and so much more. Here is our conversation. But first, here's Belfast. We all have a story to tell, but what makes each one different is not how the story ends, but rather the place where it begins. You think me and that girl have a future? Well, why the heck not? You know she's a Catholic. And you call me her? Yes! You know who you are. Your buddy from Belfast, where everybody knows you. The whole family looks out for you. Be good, son. If you can't be good, be, be careful. careful. And that thought will keep you safe. Buddy! We're looking to cleanse the community. You wouldn't want to be the old man out in the street. Touch my family and I'll kill you. Was that our side that done all that? There is no our side and their side in our street. Well, there didn't used to be anyway. We're living in a civil war. This is the time to make a new start. 
My mom says if we went across the water, we wouldn't understand the way we talk. Shouldn't be a problem. I've been married to your granny for 50 years. I've never understood a word you said. <laughs> what do you want? I want you and my granny to come too. Bloody religion, that's a problem. Then why are you sending us to church? Because your granny would kill me if I didn't. We're not dead. Back here. <laughs> How could I leave Belfast? Everybody likes them and everybody looks after them. Belfast will still be here when you get back. Will you? I'm going nowhere you won't find me. The Irish were born for leaving. Otherwise, the rest of the world would have no pubs. <laughs> I want my family with me. I want you. You know who you are. And wherever you go, and whatever you become, that'll always be the truth. Hey, Jamie Dornan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you very much, Christina. Your co-star and fellow Belfastian, Kieran Hines, who, who, like you, I believe, doesn't live in Ireland anymore. But I heard him say recently, my soul is still Irish. Now, I was wondering, is your soul still Irish and how? Very firmly, yeah. I don't think anything could change that. Um, you know, that is, it's home. You know, um, I left there last year. In fact, it was the first year I've lived longer away from, from Ireland than, than lived in it. Uh, which is a strange uh, moment in in your uh, time, um, but no matter where I live, and you know, I'm talking to someone who has a wife and three kids now, um, and uh, but we move around a lot, so we're um, sometimes feel very settled, and and then we don't, <laughs> and then we move, and it's an ever changing landscape, you know, and it's that's exciting too, but. Uh, Home, home is always is always Ireland, and that that just won't change. That is where my heart is. That's where I feel uh, feel the warmth and feel the love like like nowhere else. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a very special place. I'm very proud to be from there. So you were born in the early '80s. Um, so mm -hmm. the troubles, the thirty year conflict, was certainly a part of your childhood. Um, looking mm -hmm. back now, how would you say that that affected you? Well, I've never shied away from the fact that I had a very middle-class upbringing. Um, I would be, you know, I'd probably as far away from the sort of epicenter of where the, most of the violence was. But my dad worked right in the middle of it. Um, and I went to school in Belfast despite... I lived in Belfast for some of it. I was obviously born in Belfast, but I grew up six miles outside of Belfast. Went to school in Belfast. But um, it's small stuff that now, when I think back on or I tell people, particularly Americans, I always find when you tell them that like you used to have plans to go on a Saturday into town to meet your friends and every other Saturday there was a bomb scare so you couldn't then make your plans. You say that very casually because that was the crack at home but actually it's mental that like that's mad and now I haven't been a father myself the idea from you know our eldest is eight you're only talking two or three years away from when we would have been doing those trips and your friends would call you on the landline obviously before mobile phones and be like oh did you hear the news yeah there's been a bomb scare like the idea of potentiality of putting my kid in a situation like that is insanity to me it's lunacy so um it's stuff like that that you took for granted at the time uh, that ev that affected every single person 
you know, in, in that part of the world, no matter where you lived, um, was 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 crazy. You know, I was born into a conflict society, and and then I still call that place home, where it's a post-conflict society that is still very traumatized by what went on for 30 years. Um, there is now a whole generation that were born after 1998 that um, are only hearing secondhand stories of what that was like and you have a lot of hope in those people that the sort of the staunch uh, voices of the past are hopefully being quietened now and we can move away from it but the thing that needs to change in Northern Ireland is integration of schools. In primary schools in Northern Ireland there's still less than 7% that are integrated that's oh, wow. absolutely mad. Yes. You're talking kids who are from the same postcode as each other, but are being divided because of their religion from four years old. That needs to change. They're not going to advance without that changing. For Mr. Brownow, or, or Sir Brownow, of course, um, yeah. to see parts of his father, his family come alive through you must have been pretty incredible. How did you see that effect? Well, as you can imagine, it was hugely cathartic for Ken. That's what he will want me, to, and we've always called him. We could, we could get um, the sir. He's not that guy, thankfully. I couldn't work with whoever that guy is who makes makes you call him sir. It's pathetic. Um, so yeah, it, it, he, you know, this is yeah. You say it's semi autobiographical, but you know, it's largely based on events that really happened to him. I'd say probably about ninety percent of it happened to him. Certainly, all the key turning points in the, in the movie and the big dramatic parts of the movie were, were very truthful to, to what he went through and for him to have to relive that with the sort of level of authenticity that is created on a, on a set like that um, difficult there are tears you know there was I'm sure he'd probably yeah. admit that to himself you know it was some um, very um, heavy heavy moments and you know it, this was he will definitely never do a more personal uh, film than this and but it's personal for so many of us, you know, outside of Judy Dench, the whole core of the, the main cast is, is Irish. And so for many of us, we feel like we're telling our story too. And we'll excuse Judy Dench because she's Judy Dench. Um, and she'll be excused. She's always anything. excused. <laughs> yeah, she's forever excused. So, yeah, there's definitely some highly emotive, uh, emotional moments uh, for, for Ken. And uh, we had his back, you know, and he yeah. had our back for the entirety of the shoot. I'm I'm very sorry to to read about your father who who passed recently. Uh, my condolences. You. you said such beautiful things about him. Did you mm -hmm. bring things into this father from your father? Definitely, yeah. You know, there's there's a goodness and a a strength, a resilience, and a humour, particularly humour, um, to men from Belfast that uh, that I understand. I understand. Hopefully, because some of those I've garnered for myself, or I've been passed down, but mainly because my dad was the embodiment of all of those things. Um, I, I've never, in my life, heard someone say a bad word about my dad. Um, we're very open and honest people in Ireland, uh, so if someone had a bad word to say about someone related to you, you would they know would have said it. it. I, I would have heard it. I would have heard it. Um, so. Um, there's a lot of that, his his innate goodness and his uh, sort of importance of family first that um, that was on the page already, thankfully, with what Ken had written that I was able in, to implement in, into Pa, yeah. Did he get a chance to see the film? No, 
No. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, you know, at least he, he knew I was doing it. Um, we always had this joke with Dad about like how he never really knew any of my co-stars. <laughs> um, <laughs> and even like we're talking, I've been lucky. I've worked some great. He, he knew uh, Christopher Walken played my dad a couple of years ago, and, and Dad obviously knew Christopher Walken was, so that was exciting. And, um, but you know, we're talking about some of the younger actors, that, the great younger actors I've worked with. It, 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 he wouldn't have known. So it was so fun to be able to say Judy Dench is playing my mother and Kieran Hines is playing my dad because you know they're household names, and um, particularly in Belfast, you know, with Kieran and so um, yeah. So I it gives me some hope that he you know and and and, and uh, comfort that he, that he knew that I was doing it and you know I. I he didn't die until March last year. We made the movie by then, but no, he he, he didn't get a chance to, to see it, sadly. So this Oscar season has been uh, coming up. is quite a year for musicals. All the big names, you have Spielberg, you have Lin-Manuel mm. Miranda, your old friend or your good friend, Andrew Garfield and Tick, Tick, mm -hmm. Boom. But I would venture to say that the two best musical numbers have been Jamie Dornan, and that's uh, <laughs> Belfast Everlasting Love, and in Seagulls in the Hand, Can You Hear My Prayer, from Barb yep. and Star. Now, how did you prepare for this new era of your career? Listen, I don't know what happened there, you know. I didn't go seeking that out, you know, they just happened to be a couple of roles I did that had musical numbers in them. I have to say with Barb and the Star, <laughs> I didn't even realise, like, I remember getting out to Mexico and them saying, so listen, you've got this uh, uh, dance rehearsal, um, we're picking you up at, you know, 8am tomorrow, and I said, what do you mean, what am I dancing, and what, there's no dancing in it. And in the script... It was literally like one line or two lines of stage direction saying like Edgar, Edgar then performs uh, an emotional dance a la flash dance or something like that. That's all it said. <laughs> and I just glossed over that obviously when I read the script and then found out that Until it was, the and, day. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a number and I had like proper dance rehearsals for it and singing and I had to obviously then record the track. I did all that after so... When I'm dancing and, and miming, it's 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 to a, a professional singer who they had do it originally. Um, similar to with Everlasting Love, I, I just had to lip sync to the original and then we recorded my vocal after. So, yeah, I don't know, it's mad. And I, I've sung in a few things recently, but um, yeah, I think I'm going to take a wee break from that now because it's, it's too much. Burning like my blood's in a pan on a stove and it's heating me up to the max so i'm running my legs just as fast as i can to the left to the right i'm a frustrated man now i'm flicking my tiptoes to kick up the sand because i can't understand all this fire that's raging inside me seagulls in the sand can you hear my prayer i keep trying but i'm both you and Ken you can do everything you can go from you know uh, 50 shades and a musical number to Belfast and falling and he can go from Shakespeare to Thor you have that yeah. thing in it's an yeah, Irish thing I think, maybe <laughs> well, I think that's what it's about like that's there's no point in getting yourself into this industry if you don't want to mix it up and I've said this many times before if I if I was sat here talking to the likes of yourself 
with action movie after action movie after action movie. I don't care how much money you're paying me, I would be so dissatisfied and bored. Um, so I feel very fortunate that I've been given the opportunity to explore lots of different genres in, in, in my career to date and I plan to do to much more of that. Does that mean I won't do an action movie? No, of course, but like I, I wouldn't do every one like that because I'd just be bored to tears. Are you going to do Bond? Because that's what everyone's saying. You tell me, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> again, it's fun to be in those conversations, but okay. like, you know, okay. I, I always say Bond is anyone who's got a hit TV show or a hit movie out. And at the moment I have both. That's why I'm in the conversation at the moment, okay. strictly that. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, recently Belfast premiered back home in November yep. um, to a hometown crowd. What was that like? You've also said Irish aren't really comfortable with success. So mm -hmm. what was that like to come there humbly? With <laughs> it was truly one of the most special nights of my life. I'll never forget it. 4th of November, 2021. Um, I was riddled with anxiety, fear, couldn't talk. Had my whole family around in my hotel room before. Um, and uh, I couldn't even like uh, have a drink or uh, I find it really hard to talk. I just felt so physically sick. Oh. I often feel a wee bit sick before nights like that anyway, but this was something totally different that I had never experienced before. And the first, I think the first words I said for about an hour and a half were on the red carpet and I could <laughs> barely talk because I hadn't used my voice at all. Um, but it was such a palpable sense of appreciation of the movie that night and watching it with a home crowd, knowing how much that movie will have meant to every single person of all 1,500 people in the Waterfront Hall in this massive space in Belfast was just monumental. And, um, you know, it's so weird because that feels like a while ago now and it's only coming out in the UK and Ireland now this weekend. And... Um, I'm so excited now that beyond that 1,500 people, everyone else gets to see it there now and, and, and hopefully enjoy it as much as they did that night because it, it, it was special. And I think all of us, despite being Irish and despite not really allowing ourselves to enjoy success, I think for that night only, we, we did. We, we reveled in it. That's wonderful. So as we're all going through a collective trauma with this pandemic yep. and i was wondering you know to go back to the beginning of our conversation the trauma that you know the irish went through for so many years if, is there anything we can learn from that or you feel that you've learned from that with what we're all going through now well you know it's i think the beginning of the movie is important to answer that question you see belfast in all its vibrancy and all its color modern day belfast proper cosmopolitan city, three Michelin star restaurants, unbelievable pubs, the, but still that sense of warmth from the people. Um, there's hope. That's what, what we're, we're 
absolutely fucked if we don't have hope um, <laughs> in every in every facet of life. And um, at least less so, I'd say, in the States. The States have a very different take on COVID to Europeans. Um, but we and they're three or four weeks behind in terms of the our friend Omicron. But uh, there's a lot more hope now at home that there were off that we're at the right end of this fucking disaster. And um, uh, all we have is that and we can cling to that and hopefully come back as a stronger community, worldwide community. Um, and the know, resilience of the resilience. I mean the Irish are the most resilient people in the world, I think, from uh, a tyrannical British rule to famine to fucking thirty-year war, <laughs> we've had to, we've had to get through, been through a lot. it. <laughs> yeah, we've had to, you know, and come through with a strength and use humour to help us through that. And I think that's something that is that runs through everyone from that island. Mr. Dornan, they want me to wrap up. Thank okay. you so much for this, and good luck with the movie. Thank you so much. Thanks a million. Thank you so much to Jamie Dornan. Catch Belfast in theaters and streaming, and it's rolling out all over Europe in Sweden on February 25th, so don't miss it. And thank you so much for listening to Pop Culture Confidential. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily... That's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately 7 minutes.